The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is August the 22nd, 2023, and uh, our Te Show today is going to be uh, on koans. Um, somebody was recently asking me about koans and how to work with them, and then recent, shortly following that I came across um, some very helpful comments on this topic. Uh, by by Guo Gu's 2016 uh, book, Passing Through the Gateless Barrier, Koan Practice for Real Life. Um, in this book, he gives translations and commentaries on all uh, 48 cases of the Mumon Khan. And in his, in his introduction, he makes some very helpful points. Um, and he's coming at the koans from a slightly different perspective and uh, coming from uh, Chan, Chinese um, branch of the practice. Just a little bit before we go into his comments, a little bit of his, his background. Um, Guo Gu, also known as Dr. Jimmy Yu, is the founder of the Tallahassee Chan Center and is also the guiding teacher of the Western Dharma Teachers Training Course at the Chan Meditation Center in New York and the Dharma Drum Lineage. He is one of late Master Sheng Yin's senior and closest disciples and assisted him in leading intensive retreats throughout the United States, Europe and Asia. Guo Gu has edited and translated a number of Master Sheng Yin's books from Chinese into English. Some of them we've, we've read from in Taisho. Um, he's also a professor of Buddhism and East Asian religions at Florida State University in Tallahassee. Um, so much respect for Master Sheng Yin and, and the same for um, Guo Gu. There's this uh, very fine combination in both of them of um, scholarship and deep practice experience. And this, these, both of these inform his, his introduction to the book, which is the first part that we're going to read from. Then we'll also look at what he considered his, the five prerequisites of uh, koan practice. So he says, the gateless barrier, and then he gives both the Chinese and the Japanese names for it, Wu Men Guan in Chinese and Mumon Khan in Japanese. This book is a 13th century work that offers 48 every entryways to wake up to your life. Um, haven't heard it put this way before, and it, I think it's very useful to think of koans as uh, ways to wake up to our life. 48 entryways, 48 gates, Dharma gates. He goes on to say these entryways are presented as a barrier or 
point at a gate, like like um, the customs that we have to go through at the at the borders, countries. These entryways are presented as a barrier or checkpoint at a gate. They are short cases of life scenarios and show where you are stuck. This is so pointed in terms of when we work on these, these stories, is the ones that we get stuck on uh, where we have some strong idea or assumption or opinion or belief that, that blocks our understanding. And of course this is very, very valuable to come up against these things. And the ones that we get the most stuck on are the most valuable often. The truth is, there is no gate or barrier. Where you feel stuck is precisely where you re realize awakening or freedom. In other words, all of life's ups and downs are opportunities to realize your true nature. This is why these checkpoints are, or entryways are gateless. The main message of this work is clear. You are already free. But knowing this is not enough. You have to live it. Take everything you meet as an opportunity that can free you from bondage. This book shows you how. So you could see these, six, these 48 koans, 48 cases taken from um, Chan or Zen law and turned into examples, just like a, a legal case is an example, a precedent. But we needn't restrict ourselves to these old stories, but they can help us to see the, 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 uh, the stories, the, the living koans that exist in our, in our daily lives. See them, point them out, and, and pass through them. He goes on, if you allow the entryways or cases in this book to stand as mere stories from the distant past, unrelated to your life, then even if you read this book a hundred times, you will still meet barriers everywhere you go. But if you take these cases as insights into aspects of your life, then they will come alive and you will wake up from the slumber of delusion, vexations and suffering. You will open up to wisdom. So to take them as teaching stories. Chan Master Wu Min Hui Kai, whose, whose name actually means open to wisdom and realize the gateless, is the compiler of the gateless barrier. In 1228, he compiled and edited 48 cases of past Chan Master's interactions with his students many of which involve awakening experiences. These short, insightful cases are called gongans, or Japanese koans. Each case is followed by women's own comments and poetic verses as pointers. The pointers show you how to approach and investigate each gongan. In this book, um, uh, Gogu comments both on the the, the cases and also 
a woman's uh, verses and commentaries. Gongan literally means, means public case. The term comes from Tang Dynasty's civil court documents, referring to legal cases that must be passed or resolved by the magistrate. Chan masters draw on this judiciary metaphor to refer to the cases of the certain past Chan masters and practitioners who have realized awakening and passed through the barrier of life. Just like magistrates who view, scrutinize, and pass judgment on legal cases, Chan masters started to compile and comment on the short sayings and encounters of earlier practitioners. Their comments, like the magistrate's verdict, evaluated the most important turning point or catalyst of those awakening experiences by giving readers pointers to insight inspiring them to take up these cases as their own objects of com contemplative investigation. These books became known as Gungan collections. Skipping forward a little bit. He goes on to um, bring out a point that is important to understand that these, these collections, these, this, these teaching stories, are, in, are really unlike anything else in, in Buddhist writing. He says, Gungans do not explain or reify any concepts. Their form also reads more like transcripts of vivid encounters of life situations. They are not static, and their meanings change according to whoever reads them. Even though literary conventions were used in all Gongan collections, they cannot be reduced to mere literature, as if they were products of discursive exercises. In fact, they really are not meant to be read at all. They are instead meant to be engaged with and actualized. Um, if you think of the nearest um, literary form to the Gongans, they're, they're more akin to the script of a play or the libretto of an opera, uh, which you have to you have to interpret through your engagement with it, and and not whereas in a play you might be playing this or that character, when working on a on a koan you have to play all the different parts enter into all of them. They do something to the readers and shape the lives of practitioners rather than just presenting some ideas. This dynamic, performative dimension of Gungans goes beyond the limits of what a text is. There, there are texts to take us beyond texts. The Gateless Barrier is a great example. It became one of the most influential and beloved Gongan collections, more so than any other. He mentions a couple of the other ones, uh, Shoyoroku and the, and the Hikiganroku. And I think it's true that this, the, this Muon Khan is more beloved and more cherished than these other books. And it has something to do with Muon and his way, his pithy way of of um, 
encapsulating the, the story and, and providing pointers for us to work from. The, the other books um, are more elaborate and, and literary, you could even say, but the, the, the Mumon Khan is really a, um, the pinnacle. He goes on. Gungan collections are much more than just books. As a method of spiritual cultivation, Gungans are unique in the whole of Buddhism and in all the history of human development for that matter. There is really nothing like them. Before I explain how to use Gungans as methods of practice, it is important to keep in mind that they come from everyday life situations and are meant to be engaged with. Thus, Gungans cannot be studied or learned or analyzed. Discursive explanations of and intellectual speculations about life are not life. None of the Gungans tell you what life is. They only put a spotlight on different aspects of life. The purpose is to show that all situations in life, with all its ups and downs, are opportunities to awaken to a, your true nature. It's so liberating when we, when we can approach our different, different kinds of ups and downs um, with this attitude of, of recognizing that they are chances for us to wake up in some way one way or another, chances to become more um, empty. To many people, they seem like to be absurd, upside down. This is because most people live their lives in an upside down way, bound by their own rational thinking, concepts, and proliferation of notions about the world, which they take as the world. Thus, Gungans turn us right side up and free us from our bondage. I think here of that, that thing that the, the, the Buddha said in his awakening, we're told. He said, wonder of wonders, all beings are endowed with wisdom and virtue, lacking nothing but it's only because their minds have been turned upside down by delusive thinking that they fail to perceive this. This is, this is an ordinary way of viewing things, an upside down way. Upside down in the sense that we imagine that we are at the center of the universe in a particular kind of way. And of course we are at the center of the universe, each of us, but so is everybody else. And that uh, we need to to correct that, that view of that self-partiality. Set things the right way up. Thus, Gongans turn us right side up and free us from our own bondage. To engage in Gongan practice, then, is to use the cases as a method to investigate your life and what it means to live according to your true nature. This engagement is called investigating Chan. 
another way of seeing the the all the koans is like as different facets of the great jewel of mind. We approach the same one jewel of mind from different directions, and these facets open up to us when we sh we shine the light of our attention on them. Investigating Chan, he says. Investigation here does not mean thinking. Thinking is always dualistic and discriminatory and has the tendency to reify things as real and unchanging. Ordinary people's thinking is a form of self-grasping. Thinking is by nature self-referential. Because it is self-referential and filtered through words and language, it also reifies whatever people experience is out there, real and separate. Being deluded by the thinking process, a sense of self and other com comes into being, and people are forever alienated from their experience. We divide things into has and has not, good and bad, success and failure, enlightenment and delusion, and all the other dualities we can, we can think of. And this, this alienates us from, from the world. We, we this, this alienation from our ex experience, this um, sense of being separate, is where all um, human suffering comes from. This is not to say that thoughts themselves are the problem. The problem is the tendency to take the concept of a thing to be the thing itself. Because of this delusion, attachment arises and suffering follows. To investigate Chan is, is to use poison against poison. In other words, the poison of, of um, attachment to words or, and thoughts. Against, we use that against our words and thoughts. To use a gungan as a springboard to realize that which lies before words, language, and concepts. Your true nature, which can never be defined or reified or grasped. This, this, um, these koans, they seem to us paradoxical because they don't fit into our normal kind of logic. But, um, as, as uh, John Dyla Laurie used to say, um, there are no paradoxes in nature. We create a sense of paradox through our holding to, on to particular views of things. Therefore, whatever concept you come up with about a gungan is just another concept. It's not freedom. Gungans are not puzzles or problems to be solved. There's nothing to solve. The stories in Gongans defy logic and force the discriminating logical mind to become stuck. 
turning words, language and concepts on their head and thereby shattering self-grasping so practitioners can wake up to who they truly are. So the point is not to solve them. Use the gungang to dissolve, dissolve your self-referentiality or any fixation. That's another nice turn of phrase here, not to solve the, the koan, but to use it to dissolve, dissolve our own self-referentiality or fixations. They do often uh, feel like a kind of poison in that um, this, this becoming stuck can, uh, can be very uncomfortable, but it's very much a part of the process. So how do we use the koan to, to dissolve our self-referentiality and fixations? Gungans, koans, use words and concepts to push words and concepts to their limits. This is what I mean by using poison against poison. Gungans provide an impossibility, an impasse, so that you are left with the great sense of not knowing, impenetrability and wonderment. They give you nothing to hang on to, so all words, concepts and everything you have ever known about yourself, or this and that, falls away. The, the koans are not for everybody because the majority of people don't like to go to that place of, of not knowing, that getting right up and close to one's uh, sense of an uncertainty. And yet, and yet, this sense of not knowing is most precious in Gungan practice. This is Gwagu speaking again. You must absorb yourself in the story of the Gungan and be completely engulfed by the unresolvable impasse it presents. This experience of impenetrability, wonderment, and irresolvable impasse is known in Chan as the doubt sensation or Yi Ching in Chinese. It is the great questioning mind. This is the whole point of the Gungan method. When this indescribable wonderment engulfs you and continues for a long time, permeating every aspect of your life, it is possible that a catalyst, such as a sound from the environment or a form that you may see, will suddenly shatter this great ball of doubt sensation. Along with this shattering, your self-attachment may suddenly drop away. When this happens, you see the world with new eyes, free from the filtration of self. Everything, then, comes to life for the first time. This awakening, this, this is awakening. But that doesn't mean practice is complete. Your self-grasping may come back, so you must continue to practice. This is um, something that people, when they first come to Zen, maybe are surprised to hear. But there's a whole uh, practice that happens after an initial awakening.
and that's where the, the koan collections come in. It's a post-Kensho practice, mainly. He goes on, that this doubt sensation or feeling of doubt is not suspicion. On the contrary, it is established on the great conviction or faith that by using this method, you can apprehend your original true nature, your intrinsic freedom. This doubt is more like a sense of wonderment, a feeling of not knowing, but of acutely wanting to know. Um, in, the, in past English texts, they've talked about great doubt, doubt, but I think this term that Guogu employs of wonderment is is much more helpful. It has a kind of um, openness about it that um, saying doubt doesn't, it feels kind of negative. The feeling of not knowing but of acutely wanting to know. So again, we think of Buddhist practice as being um, transcending our desires. But here we go to the most fundamental desire of all, the, the, the wanting to know who and what we are, then engaging it, employing it in the process, and uh, not denying it, but, but bringing it into this, this work. It is quite dynamic and alive, yet free from wandering thoughts and discursive thinking. The concentration developed through working with a gungan is unlike traditional concentration methods of single-mindedness. The sense of wonderment or questioning mind is undivided yet not stagnant, concentrated yet engulfing, encompassing everything in all daily activities of life. It walks with us, it lies down with us, goes to sleep with us, it wakes up with us. During meditation, the sense of wonderment can get quite intense, reaching a point where words and language are completely dropped. In that state of non-conceptuality, the discriminating mind comes to a dead end and one remains open in wonderment. This is when the practitioner reaches a unified sense state of oneness, where self-referentiality is at its weakest. Chan masters call this the great death. Only when even this state of oneness is dropped can the practitioner come back to life. This is called the great life, the great awakening. There are many ways to engage with the cases. It is often not necessary to reflect on the whole story of the gongan. Each gongan has a critical turning point that has the potential to transform delusion into awakening. The critical point, called the hua do, can be the focus of one's meditation. You can think of a hua do as a condensed version of a gongan. So if we take the example of the koan mu, the whole koan is a monk once asked Master Joshu, does even a dog have the Buddha nature? Joshu said, Mu. 
or if you, it would have originally been in Chinese, wu, which means not or no. So if we boil it all down, um, then it, it boils down to the word mu. And so one, one, the instruction one is given is to, to take up this, this nub as the as the as a the essence of the koan. What is mu? Um, in in the Nirvana Sutra, it says that all beings have the Buddha nature. So why did did Joshu say no? This word wado uh, literally, literally, literally means that which lies before words. So we use the word to see if we can't get beyond words. He says, if words and concepts are the thorny vines that blind and delude you, then wado is the hatchet that cuts through them and frees you. This is the reason that the gungans are gateless barriers that both obstruct and liberate. They are barriers, obstacles, only if you are stuck with deluded upside-down thinking. In truth, the obstacles are not obstacles, but all catalysts for awakening. To meditate on the Huado um, is to investigate the essence of the gungan. It is not always so easy to generate the sense of wonderment when meditating on a gongan because it can be quite long. It is therefore, after all, easy for protected practitioners to get caught up with all the ideas and words in the gongan. Thus, for practical reasons, most Chan practitioners meditate just on the wado. goes on um, a little bit later on to talk about self in Chan Buddhism. And about more of the, the difference between traditional Buddhist teaching and the, the koan curriculum or method. In the, in the traditional Buddhist fame, framework, practice involves technical concepts that have specific meaning and certain methods must be cultivated sequentially. For example, one must first uphold precepts, then engage in meditation so as to generate wisdom. Chan Buddhism understands this linear scheme of the Buddhist path articulated in early scriptures and treatises as expedient means or conventional truth. Chan Buddhism, however, 
inspired by certain Mahayana scriptures. Now we've been reading them lately, the Diamond Sutra is one of them, Heart Sutra is another. Articulates the Buddhist path from the perspective of ultimate truth or emptiness and non-duality. From this perspective, all beings are already awakened. The path is the goal. Meditation is wisdom. Practice is like a baby trying to be a human being. A baby is already a human being. While a baby may not know how to walk or talk yet, that doesn't deny the baby's humanness. The true reality of all beings is intrinsic freedom or awakening. Delusion, vexation and suffering are only the conditioned temporary reality of all beings. This means even though we, you may be caught up with the vexations and challenges in life, these conditions do not define your true nature. This is the basic position of Chan. Not to be, not to be defined by our difficulties, nor for that matter by our achievements. To not pin ourselves down with uh, ideas about who and what we are. What then is the role of practice? Is it even necessary if we are already awakened? This was Master Dogen's question. Why, why do we have to practice when from the very beginning we're, we're Buddhas? Well, yes, we do have to practice. Gwogu mentions this story from the, from the suttas when the Buddha was asked uh, metaphysical questions about the origin of the universe and so on. He would compare these questions to a person shot with an arrow asking what kind of wood was the arrow, was the arrow made from and uh, where, did, where did the bow come from and, uh, what, was, what were the feathers that were on the um, ends of the arrows and so forth? When what is most important is to remove the arrow and recover from the wound. This wound is the conditions of life, delusion, vexation, suffering, all the barriers we experience. Chan focuses on the most urgent matter, that is, there is in truth no arrow no shooter. This is what we chant in the Heart Sutra. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. No color, sound, smell, taste, touch, what the mind takes hold of. Nor even act of sensing. No ignorance, nor end of it. Nor all that comes of ignorance. No withering, no death, no end of them. Delusion, vexation and suffering are inevitable. Yet, what may seem like delusion, vexation and suffering is your greatest gift for transformation and liberation. This is not only taught in, in, in Chan and Zen, but also in Vajrayana Buddhism, where the, they say sometimes samsara is nirvana. Right, whereas we suffer, there is the clue to how to come out of suffering. To practice is to discern these shadows until you find their cause, the self. 
when the self suddenly vanishes, the shadows of delusion, vexation and suffering also vanish. How do you do this? Engage with the Huado or Gunan to realize that which is before words and language. Generate the sense of wonderment and not knowing. If you can realize this truth of no self instantly, and if the power of your realization is strong enough, both the arrow and the shooter vanish. Yet old habits run deep and take many forms. Our illusory sense of self can come up with all kinds of stories and narratives and ideas that shape how we experience things. As long as there is a self, you will feel dis-ease, anguish, disturbance, and irritation. This is why genuine practice is necessary and why we have many of these koans to um, employ in this way. Um, I'm just going to skip forward. There's more, there's more great material here, but I promise that I'd talk about these five prerequisites and I don't want to um, miss out on these. So we'll skip forward to one of the chapters on uh, case number five. And um, here he presents his, his five Chan prerequisites for working on Gongan or Huado practice. And these are an expansion of the usual three of great doubt, great faith, and great determination. But he gives them his own original twist and adds a couple which I think are very helpful and illuminating. These five prerequisites come from my own experience and what I have learned from my teacher, Master Xing Yen. The first is to have great conviction and faith. The point of the Gongan or critical phase method is to generate the great questioning or doubt. As discussed earlier, this does not mean suspiciousness. It means a sense of wanting to know the sense of wonderment about the most fundamental, essential question of your being. This great questioning is founded on great conviction in the method, in yourself and in the teacher. Faith in the method means to recognize that this unique Chan method has been passed down through generations. Other practitioners have personally engaged with this method and penetrated through to awakening. They have shattered through ignorance to wisdom. Faith in yourself means to recognize, I can do this. And I can do this not because I'm special, but because all the conditioning of our vexations and delusions and problems are not an intrinsic part of who we are. These things are originally empty. We are, from the beginning, a Buddhas. The, he, he says, the word Buddha means to awake. Your original wakefulness is the wisdom of emptiness. Finally, you must have faith in the teacher. Just oh, before going on to that, it's about the wisdom of emptiness. This is, this is often something that people have trouble grasping, but it, it's, 
it's very encouraging in the sense that we don't have to acquire anything from anywhere. We just have to let go of what's in the way of this, this viable void, this, this wisdom of emptiness. And just then he goes on to say, finally you must have faith in the teacher. The teacher in Chan has one sole task, to help others to become awake. There's um, an image of, um, in Zen, of a, the hen tapping on the egg um, and the chick picking on the, on the shell from within and this, this work together from both sides of the, the shell that we're encased in. He says the teacher must have great skill and timing and the ability to see the workings of causes and conditions. Sometimes um, these openings um, happen uh, when the teacher says certain things. I heard of a case recently where this, the, somebody giving a talk, had her words had been a trigger for someone's kensho. Um, of course it can be a sound or something one sees or a sensation. One story is of 18 bodhisattvas entering a, a tank, a pool, and on the feeling of the water against them, they all simultaneously awakened. Any, any sense organ may be the, the catalyst for this experience. Well, I'm afraid we've run out. We'll have to um, fin finish up with these of um, other four prerequisites uh, at another time. Um, we'll wrap this up here now and uh, finish up with the four vows. Without number, I vow to liberate endless blind. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org dot org dot nz